Welcome to Peer to Peer, the podcast, brought to you by Rainer. Listen in as we hear from top surgeons having great conversations with their peers about hot and popular topics in ophthalmology. In this episode of Peer to Peer, the podcast, Dr. Eric Donenfeld and Dr. John Hovenesian discuss a recent clinical study evaluating clinical efficacy and patient preference for a dropless treatment regimen following cataract surgery, as well as other innovative dropless solutions containing omidria. Let's dive in. Hey, John. Hey, how are you, Eric? I can't imagine anyone I'd rather talk to about uh, drug delivery than you. So let's just get started right now, maybe by talking about uh, the unmet need and why drug delivery is an important concept. So John, tell me from your perspective a little bit about why the, the conventional use of drops as we know it today really is not adequate for a lot of patients. Well, uh, first, Eric, it's a real pleasure to join you. And, uh, and and it's it's so much fun to work with you both in research and teaching and in so many different ways. And you've been such a uh, guide to so many of us over the years uh, in understanding how these drugs work. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting for really since the beginning of my career, at least, uh, we've had drops as the uh, treatment. And for, for probably more than hundreds of years prior to either of us working, uh, eye drops were the standard of care uh, uh, to uh, deliver drugs to the eye. Uh, we still use them for cataract surgery. And um, uh, for most of us, that means three different drugs, right? Uh, topical antibiotic, uh, a topical steroid, and a topical non-steroidal. Uh, and yet drops are just not very effective, are they, for patients? No, I completely agree, John. When I think about uh, uh, drug delivery and the use of drops with cataract surgery, I think to myself that we do everything we can to make sure our patient gets the optimal outcome. And yet we leave it to the patient to take the medications, which is one of the most important parts of the surgery. And here's a place where surgery performed perfectly can have complications because drops were taken uh, in the wrong way. And when I think about drug delivery and topical drops, I think of what I call the five C's. And the five C's start with compliance. We know that 30 to 40% of patients just are not compliant with drops, but there's also the cornea with the toxicity of the medications and the preservatives causing dry eye and irritation. There's a comfort with many drops burning. There's the fourth C, which is the cost of the medications. It's really frustrating when patient just says, I, I didn't get the drop because they were too expensive. And finally, a lot of patients worry about cosmesis and the red eye that's induced by using topical medications. So there've been a, a lot of studies that have been done that look at um, the use of medications and the, most of them are involved around glaucoma. But in, in a very nice study uh, that was done by ANGELS, it showed that 31% of patients following cataract surgery had difficulty taking their drops, 92% used improper technique. And probably the most important thing is that 38% of patients using uh, medications after surgery couldn't do it themselves. And they had to have a family member help them with their eye drops after surgery. And still a lot of them don't get it right. Uh, the age of our patients, the average uh, cataract patient is 69 years old. And, uh, you know, so many have arthritis. They have, I mean, opening those packages is very, very difficult. Uh, squeezing them out and getting one drop at a time in the eye, in the eye, not on the cheek, not on the forehead, not contaminating the tip of the dropper bottle. I mean, we've learned from all these studies you cited that these are all failure points for patients and all ways that uh, we can not only fail to get the medication, 
but actually do harm uh, in the process of trying. So yeah, there's no question that drops are really um, a, a technique that should go away in favor of more consistent uh, methods of delivering drugs. So let me ask you a question. If you're thinking about alternate ways of delivering a drug uh, to the eye, what would be, you know, for you, Eric, some important qualities of a drug delivery method uh, or a way to get drug to the eye uh, that would be an alternate to drops? Great question. And, and when I'm thinking about medications and using drug delivery, number one, I'm thinking about safety. It has to be safe and effective. Number two, it's great if the drop can get to the source of the area that you want to treat. Putting topical drops on top of the eye when you want to reach the macular to prevent CME, for example, seems like a fairly awkward way to achieve good drug levels. So um, the drug has to get to the target site. It has to be safe and effective. And finally, it has to be cost effective as well. It has to be something that patients can afford to do. Uh, but I really do believe that the era of drops as we know them today is going to change dramatically over the near future as we see new drugs become available in drug delivery. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Let's visit for a second the question of, of what drugs do we want uh, on the eye. So you have been involved in and have been a great teacher about some studies that were done in Europe that have kind of guided our thinking. Uh, for most of our career, we've used steroid and non-steroidal as well as antibiotic. Uh, do we really need all three? Uh, is is the uh, non-steroidal essential in the equation for uh, for treating these eyes? You know, John, that's a great question, and you know something. There've been a lot of studies on uh, drug delivery, and the age-old question is: Do you really need non-steroidals? A lot of doctors don't use them, um, and the pre-med study um, with the senior author Oliver Findel really looked at the role of corticosteroids, the role of non-steroidals, and the role of using them both together. And very interestingly, they showed conclusively that if you had to choose between the steroid and the non-steroidal, that the non-steroidal was actually more important than the steroid in preventing CME. But the take-home message from their trial was using both was optimal. And the best results seen in patients to prevent inflammation following cataract surgery is to use a corticosteroid and the non-steroidal. Yeah, no question. So uh, for me, that was validating as a U.S. surgeon because uh, it is difficult. Uh, you know, if we could get rid of one of those drops, it off, it'd be awfully nice. Uh, but, um, you know, those of us who've gotten accustomed to using an NSAID now know that, yep, uh, based on this very large, very well-controlled study, uh, it, it makes a difference. And as you said, there were actually in that study, in the pre-med study, almost twice as many patients uh, who had CME, who had dexamethasone alone, as opposed to, uh, in that study, Bromfenac alone. So uh, the, the NSAID is indeed important. Uh, and then half again as many, there were 1.5% uh, of patients who had um, uh, thickening of the macula as defined by OCT with, uh, with the combination of the two drugs. In other words, um, there's going to be a more sensitivity to uh, with OCT evidence of, of CME than just by looking or reduced visual acuity. But by these very sensitive measures, uh, the, the NSAID was, was highly important in the pre-med study. I agree. To me, the non-steroidal is the most important part of your post-operative regimen for cataract surgery. But let's just break it down into the antibiotic, the steroid, and the non-steroidal. So very simply, um, in Europe, they've stopped using topical antibiotics. They use intracameral antibiotic for all cases and, and topical 
antibiotics are not used. Um, there's been a good study out of Kaiser Permanente that shows the United States that topical uh, antibiotics are not used. So I firmly believe that unless you're doing corneal incisions or relaxing incisions, um, I think you can eliminate the topical antibiotic and just use intracameral. And I like to use 50 micrograms of moxifloxacin when I do my cataract surgery. What, what do you do, John? Yeah, I do. I do a similar uh, with, uh, so that's a, a, a 0.5% concentration uh, in, injected inside the eye at the end of surgery. It's the last step after we've hydrated wounds and done everything else to uh, put a couple tenths of a CC uh, inside the eye. It's very well tolerated. And um, in our surgery center, we've we've seen a great reduction in, uh, in endophthalmitis since we began that regimen. And, uh, you know, there aren't many problems you can just make go away with a single step. Uh, but in a single step, you may not make endophthalmitis go away, but you're going to greatly reduce it. So, you know, um, there's a cost to the surgery center in, in purchasing that, that the patient doesn't have. But um, you have to ask yourself, what's the cost of, of suffering through a case of endophthalmitis, of facing a patient who's probably going to have major permanent loss of vision as a result of infection that we can greatly reduce with this one step? So, yep, that's a no-brainer. The uh, intracameral antibiotic uh, is a win for sure. Um, but what about the anti-inflammatories? We do have some options with the, uh, with the steroid for, uh, uh, well, both intracameral and, and extracameral delivery of steroids. Uh, tell us about those, Eric. Well, there are two FDA-approved corticosteroid delivery systems right now. And then off-label, you can use subconjunctival triamcinolone. Now, um, I've stopped using one of the uh, steroids um, uh, that's available, but I do use uh, a steroid from Ophiotherapeutics called Dextenza, which is a decadron rod that fits into the punctum and delivers steroids. And the FDA trials showed that this was a very effective alternative uh, to topical steroids. So if I have a patient who's non-compliant, uh, I like to use uh, decadron rod, Dextenza, one of the aspects of the pre-med study, the pre-med 2 that looked at patients who were diabetic showed conclusively that subconjunctival triamcinolone was also extraordinarily effective. And for all my diabetics, I give them subconjunctival triamcinolone based on that study. And they use 40 micrograms in, in, their, in their trial. Uh, I use a little bit less but I think that's a, a no-brainer as well to use triamcinolone diabetics to prevent CME. So we have good alternatives for steroids to prevent uh, inflammation following surgery. Uh, I think the use of Dextenza is excellent, but triamcinolone is also an excellent alternative. John, tell us about what you like to use for steroids. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm similar, and uh, it, just this year I've really begun using the triamcinolone in my uh, patients because my diabetic patients for the reasons you outlined. Uh, you know, if we can reduce that in that in that group of patients, it's well worth doing. Um, Dextenza has been a real winner for my practice as a whole, and you know, my practice is about ten different cataract surgeons, not as big as yours, but uh, we're like you, very focused on our outcomes, and we have our our own surgery center that we. Uh, are both cost conscious and outcome conscious in. And so Dextenza allows us to give the patient a worry-free um, dexamethasone uh, delivery for about a month after surgery. It's a hydrogel intracanalicular insert that we place generally in the lower <laughs> eyelid punctum at the end of surgery. Uh, and it, uh, it, it releases this drug slowly and with a preservative-free 
um, method uh, to the surface of the eye for about 30 days. And it also, because it does occlude the lower lid punctum, it also provides a little, you know, ocular surface benefit. You've got a nice uh, moist eye there receiving drugs. So, uh, you know, better tears or more tears and some anti-inflammatory is the best thing you can have to combat ocular surface disease after surgery. It's very well tolerated. And if you should be concerned about a pressure spike in a patient who uh, might be a steroid responder, Dextenza can be removed uh, fairly easily from the lower lid punctum, either by flushing it through or by expressing it out through the punctum. And, uh, and it's no longer there at that point. But uh, for us, it's just been a consistent, um, you know, delivery of drug that patients don't need to buy and don't need to use drops with. So I think we've had a nice conversation, John, about uh, antibiotic. We say you can use intracamomoxine. I think you have two choices with steroids uh, today. You have uh, the uh, Dextenza and you have subcontinental triamcinolone. But we talked before and we said the most important aspect is really the non-steroidal. So non-steroidal, I think, is the linchpin to cataract surgery, preventing inflammation and preventing CME, as well as providing comfort to the patient because it reduces inflammation and pain following cataract surgery. So um, there have been some really interesting innovations in the use of intracameral non-steroidal. And there's one intracameral non-steroidal that's available to us. Uh, tell us about that, John. Yeah, so uh, we have in my practice been using, and I, I think yours as well, a product called Omidria for a number of years now. Uh, so Omidria is a, a combination drug that is placed in the infusion bottle. Uh, and uh, once once diluted, it, it consists of phenylephrine 1% uh, and Keterolac 0.3%. And so uh, what that's doing is continuously from the beginning to the end of the case, uh, giving the, the patient's eye a non-steroidal uh, that's very effective and importantly, uh, a, a, an agent uh, that dilates the pupil, phenylephrine. And so really the first, the indication for this drug uh, through the FDA was to prevent meiosis or pupil constriction during cataract surgery. And we should talk about that for a second because, I mean, that's, <laughs> even if you got no benefit from the, uh, from the non-steroidal, uh, that in itself is a huge benefit to this. Um, Eric, tell us about the study you did where you showed the change in the reduction in complication rates when omidria was used. Well, omidria maintains the pupil medriasis and prevents meiosis. And, you know, my favorite saying is that uh, large pupils make good surgeons great surgeons and small pupils make great surgeons nervous. So I think I, every time you say that it's a little bit different, but it always has the same gist. And I love I love the quote because it is so true. Is there anything better than when you sit down in an eye to do surgery and the pupil is giant? And is there anything worse than when it's tiny, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, your pulse goes up and your chest tightens a little bit. Small, because you want to maintain the dry. So um, we'll talk a little bit about the use of imagery to prevent meiosis. But there have been a variety of different studies that have done now that have looked at a couple of the, of the aspects of using imagery. And these are studies by some really good people. And what we've seen is that imagery, one, maintains medriasis, two, reduces complications, three, um, uh, reduces surgical time, uh, four, um, reduces the need for post-operative uh, medications because you have such an anti-inflammatory effect, and five, um, Omidria um, really gives um, the patients a comfort 
that they wouldn't have otherwise. And we've shown that you can actually reduce the need for narcotics and, and opioids by using uh, intracameral midria, which by the way, as you mentioned, it was approved for uh, preventing meiosis, but it was also approved for preventing pain associated with cataract surgery. And I think that we as ophthalmologists sometimes view our results in terms of Snell and visual acuity, but patients view their surgery in terms of the comfort as well. And if a patient's uncomfortable during surgery, uh, they are not going to be happy, even if they have a great re uh, refractive result. So we like using Omidria not only for maintaining medriasis and reducing complications with surgery, we also like using Omidria because it makes the patient more comfortable. Steve Silverstein showed uh, uh, so nicely in his study that, you know, if you've ever been bothered by an IFIS case where you have, uh, uh, you know, the iris billowing during surgery, uh, moving in and out of your way, it greatly reduces billowing. It greatly reduces the risk of having iris prolapse during surgery. So, you know, omidria, just for the sake of its uh, benefits on, um, you know, making surgery easier and safer is well worth, uh, you know, adopting into your practice. Uh, but let's talk about the the drug uh, because we're putting ketorolac 0.3% into the eye sort of continuously, uh, and it's going through the bag in the anterior chamber, but really um, some of that is going into the vitreous, isn't it, Eric? Well, you know, that was an observation that uh, I noticed a couple of years ago. Uh, we published a paper uh, a few years back that looked at the incidence of uh, nuclear fragments in the vitreous. And if any of you have a microscope in your retinal limit, you'll see when you're doing cataract surgery, you actually will see small fragments of lens material uh, enter the vitreous during your surgery and it entering through the zonules. So when you're doing phacal multiplication with a high infusion, uh, what you're seeing is you're seeing uh, nuclear fragments go into the vitreous and it occurs in about 30% of patients. Now, if a nuclear fragment can pass through, why couldn't the ketorolac from a patient receiving omidria pass through into the vitreous as well? And my, my, my postulate is that the reason why we're seeing reduced CME, the reason we're seeing uh, less complications postoperatively is I, I believe we're achieving high levels of ketorolac in the vitreous when you do cataract surgery with omidria in the bottle, especially with modern phaco techniques. I think that's a kind of a revolutionary concept, but um, if you can put omidria ketorolac into the aqueous, you're getting high levels in the vitreous. And that's really what you want to do. When you use a topical drop, we're using topical nonsteroidals not to get the nonsteroidal into the aqueous. We're getting it into the vitreous to prevent CME. And I think that using intracameral uh, omidria is just a better way of achieving drug delivery directly to the retina, which is really where you want it to be. Yeah, that, that's so well said. And, you know, we in our minds think of the various, you know, chambers of the eye as being distinct as though there's a wall between them, uh, you know, the anterior chamber versus the posterior chamber, the anterior segment, uh, that's the lens and forward uh, from the posterior segment. But really, you know, fluids pass between all three of these continuously and anything that is uh, dissolved in water is going to have access from the anterior chamber, certainly past the zonules, they're, they're no barrier at all. Uh, and into the vitreous. So during those five minutes or, or 10 minutes or whatever your surgery takes to do, um, to do, you're continuously bathing the anterior vitreous face in this, uh, in this drug. Um, so I guess the question that then rises is, well, how much is getting in and how long does it continue to provide 
you know, a therapeutic effect. There was some canine data that looked at uh, how long was uh, drug uh, ketorolac found in the choroid and other tissues of the eye. And, and they found certainly in the, those early studies uh, that at least for a couple of days, there was uh, some therapeutic dose of ketorolac uh, found even in the choroid. But that's where the time ended because they didn't think to look beyond that. They didn't have Eric Donenfeld uh, tapping him on the shoulder saying, wait a second, you might have a, a longer therapeutic effect if you look for it. Um, but uh, now we're going to answer that question a little more definitively, Eric, aren't we? You've got, you're doing work on that. Well, we're doing work on that and we'll hopefully be presenting that at ASCRS, but we're actually doing combination surgery with one of my uh, retina specialists and we're doing combined cataract surgery associated with epiretinal membrane surgery. And we're doing the cataract surgery with omidria. And we're looking at the level of ketorolac that gets into the vitreous at the time of cataract surgery. Uh, and those results should be very, very interesting. Uh, there's so much clinical evidence right now that you get high levels into the vitreous based on the work uh, that shows less CME, less use of other medications. So I feel very comfortable today that we can actually develop a dropless regimen that takes advantage of an antibiotic, a steroid, and a non-steroidal. And John, you and I have done some work on this together. And let's share that study with the uh, audience today. So uh, John, why don't you tell us about that study that we did together? Yeah, well, we did uh, actually a couple of studies together, and uh, the, the one that, that you led was uh, involved really a dropless regimen versus a traditional uh, three-drop regimen. So this kind of puts together everything we're talking about today. Uh, we had patients randomized by eye, so uh, every patient who participated had both eyes treated, and uh, uh, one eye was randomized to have a three-drop regimen, which included moxifloxacin 0.5%, um, included uh, bromfenac 0.07%, and uh, topical prednisolone acetate, 1% that was four times a day. The two anti-inflammatories went for a month and the uh, antibiotic for just one week. And then the alternate eye, the fellow eye of each patient was randomized to, um, to receive an all uh, intracameral uh, delivery method. So um, Omidria delivered the uh, Ketorolac instead of Bromfenac. Uh, they received intracameral Moxie and uh, the uh, intracanalicular dexamethasone or Dextenza uh, was the uh, steroid that was delivered. Um, and so those patients in that study, then we looked at, uh, I believe it was one day, um, one week, one month, uh, and then three months at the outcomes. And tell us what we found, Eric. Well, we had 41 patients who received um, the dropless regimen of omidria, uh, dextenza, and moxifloxacin intracameral. And we had a, uh, the other group received the tropical medications. And what we found was with these 41 patients, there was absolutely no difference in clinical outcomes, no difference in CME, no difference in inflammation, no difference in visual acuity. Um, uh, the not surprising results of the study showed that about 95% of patients said when given the alternative of having a dropless regimen or taking the drops, they absolutely wanted to have the dropless regimen. The uh, central retinal thickness uh, was the element measured later on, and we found that there was no difference between those two groups, uh, the, you know, the two eyes of the patients with regard to that as well. So we, we looked at, uh, at uh, OCT um, fo you know, foveal thickness levels, and then you were absolutely right. There was no difference between the two groups. So, um, um, you know, a very interesting study. I think it paves the way for us to think 
more about doing dropless cataract surgery. And I, I have so many patients who come to me and they say, you know, I don't have a family member nearby. I can't use the medications. It's very difficult for me. I have arthritis, tremors, you name the, the problem. And um, I can offer them feeling very comfortable that today we can offer them a alternative where they can have a dropless regimen and the results should be just the same as that achieved in, with topical medications. Plus, uh, one of the nice aspects of this is because the imagery and the Dextenza. So it's actually a cost savings to these patients. So you're giving them a better outcome, you're giving them a better quality of life, and you're saving them money at the same time. That's a pretty good combination. Yeah. So in summary, for my practice and yours, we're, we're now in a very different place than we were just a few years ago before we did these uh, studies. We've kind of learned that uh, relying on three different drops for surgery is not necessary. Um, we've learned that omidria is a constant companion we want to have by our side in surgery, both to make it safer and to help us deliver uh, less pain and an anti-inflammatory after surgery. And we use uh, uh, sustained drug delivery, both for uh, the antibiotic and uh, the, uh, the steroid. Uh, in, in the case we talked about today was uh, with Dextenza for non-diabetic patients and triamcinolone for diabetics. Uh, and this is really probably as advanced as eye care can get in 2023. And there's a, obviously an evolving ecosystem of innovation that is going to change things for the future. But for now, I really feel confident, even in my premium lens patients, in relying on these technologies to uh, to serve them well. Well, John, I think you just put it beautifully here in your closing remarks. I don't really have a lot to add other than saying that um, it, it's very easy to implement these, these changes in your practice. Uh, we need to change the way we think sometimes. You need to get a little, little bit out of the box thinking. But um, doing away with topical medications is really what we're going to be doing in the future. And the fact that we can do it today uh, is really wonderful. And we have the knowledge that not only is it safe and effective, but in many ways, it actually gives our patients better results. Thank you to um, Omidria. Uh, and to Rainer, um, I look forward to a lot more publications and a lot more interest in the future as we explore this very important area of drug delivery. Eric, it's a pleasure to work with you on the, this podcast today. Thanks very much for joining me in this. Always a pleasure, John. For more information about this episode's topic and to read the show notes, visit the Omidria Peer-to-Peer Hub at rainer.com forward slash peer-to-peer dash Omidria. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation, please subscribe to our channel to be notified of new episodes. This podcast is provided for general information purposes only. The presenter's views are their own. Rayner does not endorse off-label use. Users must refer to the product labelling and instructions for use for Rayner products in all cases. As of July 2023, Omidria is for USA HCP use only. Important safety information. Omidria must be added to irrigating solution prior to use and is contraindicated in patients with known hypersensitivity to any of its ingredients. Systemic exposure of phenylephrine may cause elevations in blood pressure. The most commonly reported ocular adverse reactions at greater than 2% are eye irritation, posterior capsule opacification, increased intraocular pressure, and anterior chamber inflammation. Please see the full prescribing information for Omidria at omidriahcp.com forward slash documents forward slash eight forward slash Omidria dash prescribing dash information dot pdf. The full disclaimer can be found in the show notes. Thank you.